And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Uh, before we start our show today, I always like to give our audience a little background about us because we're always picking up new listeners. And so let's just get that out of the way from the get-go. Um, bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And the reason I started this was because my own mother um, suffered from dementia for 30 years. And I, I use the word suffer lightly because we had many great moments of joy. But, you know, with any chronic illness, it's not something that you would pick. Um, the other thing that we focus on is is just having everyday conversations like we do here on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, because we really believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge about life with dementia, we can help remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those not only diagnosed, but those that care for them continue to live with purpose. And and increase the awareness of what a toll um, this disease can take on individuals, families, and communities at a, at, um, alike. Um, at our core, we believe that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle. And I know that that is working thanks to each of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, your shares of our resources, not only the radio show, but our blog, our resource directory, our Dementia Chats videos where our experts actually have dementia, and our, um, <clears throat> our main website, um, our keynotes and training, all of those that you share with your sphere of influence, be it your Twitter tribe, your Facebook friends, your Pinterest uh, peeps, your LinkedIn colleagues, um, got us acknowledged as the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. So we hope that you'll continue to support our efforts and push our information that we gather out to your friends, your family, and your colleagues. Because the more information that's available, the more likely someone will reach out and grab it when they're in need and when they're ready. Um, let me see. What else? I want to give a couple of shout-outs to um, a couple of companies that I just um, love dearly. One is the Call Alert Center. Um, they just do a fabulous job um, helping us find our loved ones if they would wander. It's a very inexpensive approach, um, and it, to me, the value is definitely there. They also work with uh, grandchildren and pets and uh, college students or people who travel abroad as well. Again, the Caregiver Alert Center, and you can find information on alzheimerspeaks.com about them. Also, um, calendar cards, I have to give them a big shout-out because they are really helping um, raise awareness and helping us find where memory cafes are around the country here in the U.S. And um, Dave over there is pulling the information together. Um, it's very easy to use. In fact, there's a, a graphic on Alzheimer's Speaks. Just go to our initiatives and projects to the memory cafe, and you'll see a big graphic for the memory cafe directory um, if you're looking for one in your area. So with all of that little housekeeping out of the way, let's get started with the show today. I'm really excited. We have two fantastic women with us. Paula Hertel is the founder of Senior Living Consultant, and Nancy Shire um, Anselmos is the principal of Alzheimer's Care Associates. Both of these women have had extensive experience in the field of senior housing, and each is a consultant in their own right in all aspects of operation and program design. Both Paula and Nancy um, have enjoyed working with people affected by dementia. 
um, throughout uh, throughout many many years, and um, they decided to basically bring their personal passion of horses and caring for those affected uh, by dementia together. So they started what's called the Connected Horse Project, which offers human animal connection and engagement programs tools, products that encourage and support individuals living with um, the diagnosis, as well as care partners and professionals. Um, The project focuses on offering um, a unique guided workshop that supports people affected by dementia. So I just, I can't wait to dive into our conversation. So welcome, Paula. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. And Nancy, how are you doing today? Very well. Thanks for having us, Lori. Well, like I said, I'm really excited to raise awareness about this Connected Horse Project. I, I think it's um, very, very exciting. So why don't you tell us, Nancy, you know, how did, how did the two of you, I know you work together and stuff, there must have been kind of a magic bullet that, that melted the two of you together that said, hey, we can, we can do this. Well, yes, there there was. We've worked together for many years out here in California, and we're both board members of the California Assisted Living Association, where we have the honor to put on the conferences. We're co-chairs of the Education Committee. So we've done that for over a decade together and thought, why don't we do something now as we're all waiting for this magic pill and this magic cure for this disease. What about those who are living still with it? And so it's kind of an interesting story because Paula wanted to help the the care partners and I wanted to help the people living with dementia and we wanted to help both so we said let's just bring them together and then take our shared passion for horses which we both own horses we're lifetime equestrians uh, and we know the magic healing they have on us in the work that we do in the field every day so we thought well if it if horses can help people with PTSD and the VA is doing work with them and um, children with autism and other uh, disabilities. Well, why can't they help people living with dementia? So little did we know we were creating kind of a new model of a dyad approach where instead of separating people into two different research groups or subgroups, we wanted them to come together and work together as a family unit because this is a family process. It's a journey that everyone goes through together with the person diagnosed or the care partner. So we were able to go to Stanford University and talk with the Red Barn Leadership Program where Paula has a connection with them from our work in this area and ask them if they would try it out and take a chance on us. And then we connected with Dolores Gallagher-Thompson, who's a foremost researcher on care caregiving in the nation at Stanford, and they were willing to take a chance on us to set up a pilot study because, Lori, we want it to be evidence-based, and an approach that really shows immediate results, which we have in the three workshops we've done thus far, and be able to help individuals immediately on this journey and not you know, wait throughout the 30 years as you had to endure. Yeah, it can be an awfully long journey. I'm going to back up just to here because not everybody knows what a dyad is. Um, can you explain to people right. what a dyad is? Yes, I'm sorry. A dyad is um, two people, basically a couple, but we also have mothers and daughters and friends and partners and sisters and whomever so it's two people, the person diagnosed with dementia of any sort. We were mostly focusing on the younger, earlier onset, as well as the person who is their primary care partner. Okay. So they're thank, together. Thank you for clarifying that. Just uh, don't want to make sure everybody um, understands what that meant. Um, have you found that, that working with uh, Stanford and now the University of California, um, that the the program is seen in a stronger light and taken more seriously? Absolutely. Uh, we presented our some of our initial findings at the International Alzheimer's Research Conference in Toronto this past summer, as well as the Gerontological Society of America, and we're quite surprised in, in that realm that people were quite interested and in know the healing effects of, of animals with humans. 
And so we felt that this would be a way to have people take it more seriously. Yeah, definitely. Anything that you want to add there, Paula? I just, I think one of the things that um, is really important to us and what we're noticing in these pilot research uh, studies is that um, it's the ability of this work to help strengthen the relationship between the person who has a diagnosis of dementia and the care partner is um, what has been so wonderful is that these roles that people get stuck in of being, I'm a caregiver, and now I'm a person labeled with this with this disease, those roles sort of start to melt away because they're both experiencing something new together. And, and this um, opportunity to um, share something that's new, to um, feel some of the anxiousness together of doing something new, um, and to be treated as, as equals in this, in this workshop has been um, where we've seen um, most of the sort of dramatic um, and joyful exchanges. Well, I can, I can see that, you know, people have talked about, you know, dogs and cats for years in terms of their significance, in terms of, of healing and calming and, and things. And so it's yeah. nice to see um, horses being pulled into this. Um, I would also think that there's got to be great pride for many of them in terms of um, taking part um, in these studies, um, because it's just, it's cutting edge stuff. And, um, you know, anytime you can help the next, the next person, um, I think it just always makes us, us feel a little bit better there. People do ask us about, well, why didn't you just do this with dogs and cats? It would have been easier. Um, and to some extent that's true. Uh, but the, the biggest thing is, is that you have a horse who's, you know, a thousand pounds. You can't just pick that animal up and put it in somebody's lap or get it to do something that you want it to do. And so this um, emotional connection and the nonverbal connections that happen and the collaboration that has to happen between the person and the horse to be able to do some of these uh, exercises um, is really important. And you don't get that same effect with an animal that you are physically more powerful than. So the, that equalization of, of the human and the horse comes very quickly. And um, both, of, both the participants get to sort of understand how that equalization happens and how people balance out their strengths and how important uh, that emotional energy and that nonverbal communication is because they learn how to, to negotiate that with the horse. And then they can take some of those skills that they learned with the horse to use in their own in their own lives with each other with others in the community. Our, our, um, and I'll, I'll point this one to Paula. Um, Paula, do you find that some people are very intimidated by the horse um, initially just because of the size? Yeah, and I think one of the things that is really important, and this is going back to why we did the research piece, is that we want to make sure that our curriculum for this workshop is is proven and um, that the pace and the kinds of activities that we do are really beneficial. And so we start off um, very slowly, particularly at least half of the participants that have gone through our program have had very little experience with horses. And so they're, like you said earlier, Lori, they're, they're interested in trying something new. This seems out of the box. Let's give it a try. But they don't really... Um, have an expectation about what what they're getting into. And so um, our programs start off with, with really being aware from a sensory perspective of what's around you and what you're feeling and what you're hearing and what you're seeing. And then we do some um, over, what we call over-the-fence activities where um, the participants are just um, getting introduced to the horse in a very safe environment with either a paddock stall or, or a fence in front of them. And so they're introducing themselves with just using their hands to the horse and getting to look at the anatomy of a horse, observing a horse in a herd um, environment. 
And then by the end of the workshop, they're leading a horse by themselves or they're in a pen at what we call at liberty with a horse with no halter and they're walking up and petting the horse and having the horse follow them. And so it happens very quickly, that that trust and that um, sort of innate ability to, to read the horse and for the horse to read the human. But um, but we don't jump right into right into um, leading the horse and grooming the horse and cleaning the horse's foot. We start off very slow, so that so that trust builds. Okay. And the confidence builds. Now, did you mention a, a, a like a panic um, pen? Is that what you called it? Or did I? I have, I have oh, a head cold, so no, I, must... I just said a panic. It's like a stall. So they'll either need a horse when they're in a stall, a small stall, and the horse. His head will come over the stall door, okay. or um, or out in in the in in a pen in the in in the open. But um, those initial activities that we do when we're introducing the horses to the humans and the humans to the horses are done with with either a stall in a stall area or with a fence, um, so that everyone feels safe and comfortable as we're doing the introduction. Okay, but it's amazing how fast, um, how curious the horses are, and how um, open the horses are to to working with with us and working with the participants, and how quickly the participants um, begin to trust themselves and to trust the horses, and then that anxiety, they acknowledge the anxiety, but then that sort of anxiety about doing something new or or some of the fear that they may have of past experiences with horses um, melts away pretty fast. And we have trained facilitators who are working with the groups to um, talk about the experience and talk about some of the emotions that may come up. Um, but you can see it. You can see the, the physical changes in people um, within, I'd say, two or three hours of, of being in the workshops of of that fear leaving and the anticipation of wanting to try to spend more time with the horses and doing something new um, takes over. It's really, um, I think that's what keeps motivating Nancy and I to do this is that um, you see that transformation of, of kind of of hope and excitement of doing something new. Um, You know, it just, it motivates us to keep wanting to do more workshops. Okay. Um, Nancy, about how many people do you have in a workshop? Well, we we try to keep the group somewhat smaller. We split them up, but um, we have about six to eight pairs of folks, and um, you know it can't be too large. It depends how many horses we have. So at Stanford, we had a select number of horses we could use that belong to the Stanford Red Barn, and then at University of California Davis, we are working with the School of Veterinary Medicine as well as the medical school. And so they've given us a few select horses. So, you know, we find the dynamics of the group, we want it to still be small and intimate, someone like a support group can be. And, you know, if it gets too large, then not everyone can have their voice. And so we find that's about the magic number. We'd like to make it a little bigger, but um, at this point for the research, that's about the number we're staying with. We right now you know um, we haven't turned anyone away as long as they qualify they have to qualify with the physician's report and uh, you know physician's clearance and obviously the primary diagnosis of some sort of dementia but we do not have an age restriction Lori so um, our oldest person was in his 90s that just went through the group and then the youngest uh, folks were in their 50s oh wow I was going to ask about uh, if there was a limitation in terms of uh age or gender or um, type of dementia or, um, you know, where they are in the progression of the disease as well? Well, right now with the way we're starting, we are under the auspices of the university, so they dictate a lot of that um, because Paula and I'd like to help everyone. (laughs) But quite frankly, uh, they have to have a primary diagnosis of dementia and be physically able and cleared by their physicians to be a part of it. So everyone we've helped thus far has been in the earlier stages because they need to follow directions and um, be really have 
um, meaningful engagement with the horses. We had a modified group with some individuals that are a little bit later stages, and even they had profound effects, but physically it was strain, you know, it was hard for them to be out in the elements like that, even in California, <laughs> for a five-hour workshop where we take rest and have lunch and so forth, but it's still physical and you need to be outside moving around. Okay. Well, that's helpful. I, I was figuring that they had to be fairly able-bodied to be able to move around in that setting and, and um, so forth. Do you ever take anybody who is wheelchair-bound? We have not thus far um, or with a walker either. We had a few folks that had a cane, but it, as Paula mentioned, after a few hours of being with the horses, it's like their confidence is boosted. They walk um, straighter, taller, if you will, a stronger stride. It's it's really amazing what we can see when they're out and about and just being given the opportunity to do something with their care partner is amazing how the relationship starts starts to grow. And we also see it in the physical presence of, of both the care partner and the person with dementia. So we haven't used walkers yet. Right now we're staying within the parameters of the university. Okay. Well, and that, that makes um, perfect perfect sense um, with that. I mean, there's always got to be some type of, of parameter um, when, you're, when you're working with a study. Um, it sounds like, you know, to me as an outsider um, looking in, that this is really about getting people in tune with nonverbal communication. Um, just using a different mode. Um, it, it, would that be an accurate statement? I think so. That you know, people are always asking us, you know, how does this work? And um, one of the one of our our desires is that we get a good uh, video of our work because it's so easy to see it in action and so hard to explain it in words, but. Um, I'll try. The horses have this sort of innate ability to um, to survive in a herd, you know, so that they over you know thousands and thousands of years have relied on each other to keep each other safe from predators. So um, their senses are very strong, and they use nonverbal communication to alert other horses of possible threats. And so um, this work really sort of ties into, you know, what what are horses' reactions to us and what feedback are they giving us? So when a horse is nervous or a horse feels like there's a threat, they will give you that immediate feedback if you're open enough to see it. If a horse is feeling content and relaxed because the environment around the horse is is safe and calm, you will immediately see that. And so our work both with the horses and then some of the group discussions and um, mindfulness work that we do is really allowing people to tap into their own awareness of their environment and their own awareness of how they're influencing that environment, both in positive ways and possibly negative ways. And what can they do to um, to impact that, to change it. And so many of the activities are, what, what do you think the horse is trying to tell you and what could you do to influence um, what's happening with you and the horse? And so it's that nonverbal negotiation and then getting that immediate feedback from the horse that um, allows people to, to sort of go, oh, I have I have some control of what's going on for me in this environment and some of it is very subtle but like one example of the last workshop that we went through we had um, one horse left the barn and so the other horses were were sort of nervous and pacing back and forth where is that horse going and our participants really picked up on the sort of anxiousness and a little bit of I think people even talked about it as chaos that was happening in the barn and um then some horses were calm and they were very interested in why some horses were nervous and some horses were like, okay, that doesn't affect me. I'm okay. And uh, one of the participants sat down next to one of the horses, just started to sing. 
And the horse came over to her and dropped his head. And then she was singing and petting the horse. And it was just, it was a beautiful exchange of, of, a, of a woman trying to help a horse calm himself and seeing that immediate feedback that the horse responded to what she was doing to try to change the, you know, the energy in the barn. And it just, it just sort of came to her. She said, you know, I haven't sat down and sang in a long time. Um, and I didn't worry about being on key. I didn't worry about knowing all the words. It just felt like, you know, the right thing to do. And those kinds of little gems happen you know, throughout the workshops for for everybody. People seem to get what they need out of the workshop. And for each person, it's different. Everyone has their own intentions, and we ask people to tell us their intentions and their goals for the day. And sometimes it's being in the moment. Sometimes it's learning how to communicate better with their partner. Sometimes it's um, about, you know, being more present, being more patient. Um, and they work on those um, those goals throughout the day. And so they're looking for how the horses can help give them um, feedback and how, what skills can they learn to to be um, more in, in where they want to be in terms of meeting their goals. Well, interesting. Um, I'm wondering in terms of, um, you had mentioned the day is like five hours. Is it is it um, just one day or is it multiple days? How, how does this work? It's a three-day program right now, and the first day is an introduction, and when we're doing the research, there's a certain amount of protocols and administrative work that we need to do, and so the first couple of hours is focused on the research component, and then we do an introduction to the barn and to the horses and what the expectations are, and we give um, the participants journals so that they can write down their thoughts and their experiences beyond um, the day at the barn. And then um, the next week they come back for five hours, which is a full five hours of, of working with the horses and the groups. And um, then the following week they come back for, for an additional five hours in a, in a closing <laughs> circle of, of work with each other. And, um, it's amazing how fast this group bonds together too. And so we've done three workshops and um, we've seen it in every workshop that um, the, the hope and the um, acceptance and the energy, the sort of positivity that comes out of um, being together. I think it's, I think it's the environment, the horses and being around people that are so accepting of of everybody's journey, this sort of, okay, that I'm with like people. I don't have to try to be anybody but myself in this group. And um, people don't want to leave. You know, like, you know, it's over already. Can't we continue? And so that's also one of our hopes when this research is over, that, you know, is there um, is there an opportunity for us to work with equestrian centers or therapeutic equestrian centers to have these ongoing workshops and what would that look like and what would funding look like because everyone that's been through it is um, wanting more and they come in knowing and have been very gracious to give us feedback about what was most valuable, what is, what is long lasting, what, what would be a good amount of time for us to be able to continue. Um, And so we had one participant say, you know, this. We've spent a lot of money going to, you know, doctors and psychiatrists, and and I'd much rather spend a day at the barn, you know. And so those are the kinds of things that we we want to continue to grow. That we're that we want we want people to think outside of the box, and we want, particularly in areas where you don't have a lot of community-based services, are there opportunities for people to feel connected, not only to the horses but to each other. Um, on an ongoing basis, you know, could this be a connection to keeping people engaged in the community? Well, I think it's just uh, fascinating for, for all sectors, but, you know, I, I think about how our rural environment has, um, for the most part, a lot less support. And we hear that over and over and over again. And what a great way to utilize um, some of the farms that are already out there 
um, to help people with this community. Um, I, I just think it's it's a brilliant, brilliant way um, to get people to think outside of the box and just, you know, um, soften up, basically, um, and look at things a little bit differently and, and continue to live life instead of live via a diagnosis um, and just get back right. into the, the normal everyday stream of life about, you know, exploration and purpose and, and feeling like you fit in. Those things are so important. And it sounds like this program brings all of those things together for people. So kudos. Well, the other, Go the ahead. other thing that it brings that I think we, we sometimes forget about because we come from the, the, you know, human service portion of our, of our professional lives is that, um, it's a gift to the horses too. So particularly at UC Davis, we're working with horses that are used to being part of research. Most of them, if not all of them, are retired older horses themselves, and um, they need purpose. And uh, one of the things we talk about with our equestrian friends and contacts is that horses over the over their lifespan need new purpose too. So you know. Before cars and automation, they were our mode of transportation. They um, were working on the farm so that we could put food on the table, and and then they moved to more sport and you know high-end equestrian work. But that's becoming a smaller and smaller portion too. So horses, um, particularly older horses, need a job and need to feel valued. And um, you can watch the horses when they're in our programs. They um, they're working, you know, and so it isn't, it isn't, you know, sort of this typical physical labor, but they are really, they're very aware of their therapeutic value and what, and what we're doing. And, um, and so people in the horse world feel that it's really important to be able to show from a scientific perspective that there is a value, um, that there's a process and a value of, putting programs like this together so that um, horses continue to have, um, have, have a purpose and have um, an important role in, in the connection between humans and animals. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a great point um, to bring out. I, it, it kind of made me smile because I think of even when I'm talking with my people with dementia on dementia chats who are our experts, and I'm always thanking them um, for giving us great insights and guidance. And they tell me over and over again how important the work is to them and what they get out of it. So, you know, to me, it, it yeah. just it 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 reinforces that need for being relationship based, and that you know, no matter what we do, there is a give and a take on both sides. And I think sometimes that gets ignored in this fast paced life that we, that we lead. And, um, you know, your project, um, it, it kind of also reminds me of, um, time with my mom where she taught me to turn off my phone and put down my pager and walk away from your computer and just sit here with me, Lori, you know, and just be in the moment. And it sounds like that's very much what's happening with, um, your people and the horses is they are creating their own, unique and very authentic um, moment um, that that is valuable to both sides. Yes, you've got it. Um, Now, when you guys first started this, um, and I'm going to throw this to Nancy. um, Nancy, did you have some particular outcomes that you were hoping for? Yes, we we had hoped that first it would be just an alternative way to grow the relationship between the care partner and the person living with dementia because, you know, once you get that diagnosis, your whole world changes and people treat you differently. And we really wanted to just grow and strengthen that relationship. And so that was something we, we didn't think we would change cognition um, in a short period of time, but we certainly had hoped we would reduce their stress and anxiety and give them better sleep, which are some of the outcomes that we found in the preliminary study so far, and have the care partner feel that they were more supported, that they weren't just on this journey alone, 
and that was one of the other things we measured and were able to see some significant changes in that. And, um, you know, that was kind of our hypothesis. So we were beyond thrilled when we saw some of the data come in and it did support what we had hoped to see. Mm -hmm. And were there any surprises um, that just really took you back, um, Nancy, you know, through this, through this project? Oh, that's a good question, Lauren. You know, as a practitioner, as a gerontologist working in with this population for so many years, I've always been surprised when you see those magical moments when someone just clicks and they, they come alive and they're able to really start articulating things that were important to them either in the past or, or present time. And that still surprises me to this day when we saw people that were know, quiet and maybe um, labeled somehow that really that wasn't the case. They were just unsure of what to say and weren't sure of the, the process they were on. And yet we saw them, you know, almost wake up and become more articulate, give us eye contact, their posture improved, they became engaged, they were able to speak longer in sentences, engaging with each other. And even the care partners we're just so surprised at this outcome that happened, you know, pretty quickly, very quickly. And after leading support groups for so many years as, as a volunteer, I just can't believe how quickly people progress in a short period of time. And that's the horses. They've taught us that. They're our teacher. You know, we're just facilitators, and we're able to see the horse is able to bring this out in them, this enthusiasm and zest for life again. For both sides. That's neat. Paula, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think when we first started, my biggest surprise was um, how fast uh, people began to trust the horses and trust each other. And, um, and I wondered after our first group, I thought, I wonder if it was just we got lucky with a group that had um, – had connections and then it happened the second time and the third time and so I really do think um, you know I call it our you know human herd mentality that when you when you need each other and those roles of uh, I have to be this and I have to be that go away and you learn how to be both a giver and the receiver and both someone who's vulnerable and someone who's in control regardless of what you know exterior label you have that that trust and that confidence that comes through um, all all happens in in somewhat of a magical way, but it is really um, it is really fun to see, and and it's fun to hear the sort of verbal responses that come from participants when they say, "Look, we're all in step. We're in a herd with these horses," and they start to see it themselves. Um, has been, um, you know, started off as a surprise and just has turned into something that still feels, every time we see it, still feels like um, something magical, something that we're really um, onto something, you know, bigger than bigger than an individual person's need to, to do something right. They're just, they really are, you talked about it, Lori, they're there in the moment, they're there for themselves, um, but they're really there for the relationship. And, and wanting to um, figure out how how to you know be in this new world now they have um, this diagnosis now now their whole family system has changed and they get to come be with the horses and, and all of that sort of expectation from the outside goes away and they're 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 just themselves together with these horses doing a, doing amazing work and um, that feels that feels really good to see. Oh, I, I can imagine. Um, and it, because they're just so such raw moments. I mean, it's not something you can really script yeah. out. They just, they just happen. And um, I think when you have those authentic, true connections like that, they're just, um, they just get embedded in us um, to those who are, who are, uh, you know, over overseeing or just happen to get a glimpse of it as well as the horse and the parties that are involved with it because they're just, they're such deep connections. I think connections that we kind of forgot we had, 
in a, in a lot of right. in a lot of mm-hmm. senses. Um, so that's that's pretty pretty neat thing to to be happening. Um, I'm going to ask, and I'll throw this one to Paula. Um, what are some of the next steps? You know, after research concludes for the connected horse, you know what what's the next uh, pilot study for 2017? Well, we are um, just finalizing the next workshops at UC Davis. We're looking at the end of April and the first part of May. And um, so that's our sort of immediate next steps. Our long-term goals is to um, finish the analysis of all this data. So we'll have, you know, 50, somewhere around 50 participants um, with data to run through this analysis so that um, we can finish up our curriculum, and then we will feel ready to, um, one, offer training to other facilitators about how you do this work um, and what does it take to be um, a successful facilitator because there are some very specific um, skills that are beyond what would be typical for doing this kind of work. And um, then second, to work with um, equestrian centers and barns that are interested in offering this program and so that we're looking at what does a a facilitator in training um, look like. We have a very good relationship with the Alzheimer's Association and so reaching out to local chapters um, to help spread the word that these needs, um, they know these needs are here, but how we might be able to meet them because we feel like that we can serve even more people once we are beyond the restrictions that in the parameters of a research project. Um, so that's our next step in the next year. Of course, we're looking for um, funding and support to be able to launch that. Um, both Nancy and I have um, are not fundraisers by by profession, but have um, you know made calls to friends and colleagues and families to fund this these first couple pilot projects. But for a Connected Horse to be sustainable long term. We need to look for long-term funding, so that's that's um, on our horizon as well. It would be it would be wonderful if you could get, um, you know, some of the um, the big borders or um, even the racetracks behind this. Um, yeah. In terms of yeah. raising awareness, um, what a, what a beautiful way to, you know, to continue to show um, the impact. That horses can have in in somebody's life. Yeah. Oh well, and I think for us, just because we're global thinkers, um, our big push is that this is our passion, mm-hmm. and we are amazed at what horses are doing in in these workshops. But we also want to encourage other people to to think outside the box because you know sometimes you can want to be so protective once someone gets a diagnosis of dementia that your first um, thought is, you know, how do I keep this person safe? And that can close somebody's world. So what can we do to sort of open up the dialogue to say that um, once you have this diagnosis, it's not a now what, but it's what, what can I do to stay connected? What can I do to continue to to look forward and to continue to look forward with support. And for many people, um, and obviously, you know, for us, it's this workshop with horses and humans, but for some other people, it may be music. For some, it may be travel. I mean, start, let's, let's break down those barriers. You can't do this because you have dementia. And we're saying, why not? You know, what do you need to do to modify something so if you have dementia, you can still do this. And so that's that's sort of our movement piece of it is that um, we need to help. I think you talked about this earlier when you were introducing your, your program, Lori, that you sort of break down the stigma to be able to, to talk about not, oh, no, now doors are closing, but no, doors are opening, and we need to be really creative um, to keep people engage in the community so they're not segregated or judged or um, or thought as more infantile. It's that, no, now um, this is a part of who I am, but I'm going to continue to live my life and I'm going to continue to 
work on my relationships and we're going to do this together. I'm now not dependent. I'm, I, I just have another dimension of who, who I am. And so that's sort of our message. And we're trying to carry that message through the work that we're doing with, with the horses. Wonderful. Well, there's, um, and I cannot remember the man's name, but I'll have to connect you with him. There's a man in Montana that is doing um, adult day on a farm because apparently over Mm. in the UK, most of their um, adult day is farms where people can actually participate. And um, your pro, it might be something of interest to, to talk with him yeah. to see if that could be incorporated in what he's doing because it's all about letting people have purpose and being connected and um, you know still Choice. being able to participate. And I, I feel horrible. I can't. I can't remember the name of it. But I, I did a show. If anybody scrolls down <laughs> through the old ones, they'd be able to find it. And um, maybe I'll be able to find it here before before we end as well. Um, but I'd love to be able to give you, give you that connection. Um, That'd be great. So, um, as far as, um, care partners, what kind of comments have you gotten from, from them in terms of not only, um, what it's done for maybe their loved one that they brought, but for themselves, can you give us a couple of examples, Nancy? Yes. Um, thank you for that question because, we feel like we're kind of spreading the seeds of inspiration <laughs> and the the horses are doing that through the workshop and the care partners have come back to us and said, you know, they just really have this visual, strong, lasting, emotional uh, connection with the horse and what they've done with their loved one. And it gives them inspiration that they can continue living and doing things. And as Paula mentioned, it's it's not debilitating. We're not just a physical being. We're so much more than that. And so they've come back to us and said, you know, most recently one woman shared with me that she's going to fight this thing. Her husband said, I'm going to fight this and I'm going to do everything I can to be as active as possible. We're going to stay involved in all the community things that we do. And then also something else they were going to start up. I mean, really bonding that couple or that care partner um, relationship together is is important. Uh, we had another woman who, you know, just felt like she wasn't sure where she was going to go next. And after being in this workshop with her husband, she again said to us, "We're going to continue." They they booked a trip. They were going on vacation, another honeymoon together. I mean, they started really just realizing that it hasn't ended with that dreaded D of dementia diagnosis. I you know, say it's like the scarlet letter, you get stamped with this, and then people just stop living. And it got them to think outside of the pathway they've been on and really take the reins, so to speak, and steer their own course of what they're going to do together. And it's it's just amazing um, how healing it is for both parties. And the care partner feels like they also remember to take time for themselves, be more mindful of processes, and you know, take a deep breath. You, when you're near a horse, it's just a mirror to you, and that's what they learned as well. Is that how much of the way they react creates um, some of the chaos that they might feel like they're they're living amongst, and so it it really is a visual reminder for them that they carry with them. We also give them a photo album at the end of all the photos so that they can pull it out. And one care partner shared with us that, you know, her partner would just, every person that came in the door would start telling him about this experience and showing the photos. And she said, I don't care if I've heard it so many times. It's just so wonderful to see her joy uh, from being involved in this, this process. So I think it helps both sides, Lori. And um, that's gratifying to Paula and I, because after working in the field for so many years, we just needed to feel hope ourselves that there is a journey that we can be self-directed and that people can, you know, move forward from that diagnosis. Oh, that's fantastic. I love, I love that you're doing the photos um, and, and that memory is captured um, to relive and to share. Um, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Paula, is there anything you'd like to add? I think that Nancy's captured it 
pretty well. I mean, for for me, the hardest thing has been um, that that as facilitators, we come in without having our own outcomes. And if we can let go of what we want to happen, that's when we really see these um, these gems and some of the stories that that Nancy has shared um, that people, because we're meeting people in a window of time, so we don't know their whole relationship. Um, and, and so when we see them come through and they share stories, and um, I, when Nancy was talking, I was thinking back about a mother and daughter relationship that um, we had in one of our earlier workshops. And it, it appeared that it was a hard relationship and, and, the daughter was in her late twenties and so um, had her own life struggles around career and relationships and her mother was moving in with her and she was trying to sort of figure out what is, what does her long-term future look like? Cause she was, had so many sort of um, developmental stressors on her and to have her um, say, you know, I enjoyed being with my mother and and watching not only the horses but other people um, walk through this with some some grace, I think I can do this. And so, what was what what was working towards her to be um, a negative sort of lost experience with sort of some burden attached to it um, turned into this opportunity for her to have some hope and for her to actually have an improved relationship with her mother. And um, I couldn't have scripted an outcome like that, you know, through my sort of cognition of in, or or professional sort of desire to be to to try to control something. And if you just let it go, these things that um, are meant to be worked out, if people come there and sort of open up to the experience of truly being in the moment, they have some of these aha moments that um, that are really beautiful to watch. Oh, that that is really neat. And I, I am a true believer, if you can let go of that control, amazing things can happen. Um, when yeah. we just, you know, the saying is let go, let God or whoever you believe in. Um, it, it's right. pretty, pretty powerful stuff um, to see unfold before you. One question I did want to ask is, how do how do you how have you been able to get people to participate in the program? What have you done um, to kind of raise awareness so people know that you're there? Well, we have worked you with want to Paula mentioned, Sure. As, as Paula mentioned, the Alzheimer's Associations of California have been really quietly supporting a partner for us and referring people through their early stage support groups, as well as the media. We're, we're quite surprised when uh, there's a story in the media and people get excited about it. It's something new and different. So we've had a few articles in the local newspaper. We're going to have a story on a local TV station. Um, the medical schools have helped us by putting things out on their blog, and it's really been word of mouth, and it's that social media piece that's interesting how it takes effect. And, and in the horse world, people say, oh, yeah, we know this works. You know, We had a reporter reach out to us um, from Florida who heard about us and wants to have a story in another magazine that, that she writes for, and so that's how it's been, just this word of mouth. We already have people interested in April that heard about it from participants who did it already with us, other people that have gone through. They want us to hurry up and get the research over, Lori, so we can just start having these programs regularly. And um, that that growth amongst the care partners talking to each other and um, the supportive services that are in our community has really been amazing strength, and we're really blessed by that because, you know, people hear about us, they call and say, what can I do to be in your study? And we, the first time out, it was a little difficult uh, because it was the first time, but now I think it's growing. It's word of mouth, and um, a friend told me about a woman who came back to her early-stage support group and just told the entire group about the amazing experience that she had with her husband and so half of that group wants to join. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't want to turn anyone away, um, but we need to get through this research process and get published and make it, you know, really more legitimate program so that our dream as 
gosh, maybe someday insurance will pay for this, and this will be an alternative method for families to get the help that they need on an ongoing basis. So word of mouth is very powerful, and, and as you know from, from media, it's important when a story touches your heart, then you're willing to, to do whatever you can to support that cause or send people you know that would benefit a woman called me from Missouri asking me, I heard about you on something on Facebook, and could you please come out here and do it? So mm-hmm. who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, never, you never know. I was thinking uh, no. the memory cafes and Alzheimer's cafes would be a really good um, place Absolutely. to market to as well. Um, Absolutely. When people are looking for help, you know, they all become a very strong network, and that support is, as Paula calls, the herd. You know, the herd comes together, if you will, just like it does with horses, and, and we support each other, and it, those acts of human kindness are just amazing. It, it warms your soul in this crazy world we have. Yep. That's for sure. Well, thank you, ladies, for being with us today. Um, I can't believe how fast this hour blew by. Um, it was very very educational and informative. And I hope if people are interested um, in learning more that they reach out to you um, and find out more about the Connected Horse Project. Um, And um, contact information, you can go to your website, which is uh, connectedhorse.org. That's connectedhorse.org. Or there's a phone number, which is 916 708-4904. That's 916-708-4904. We would love to just um, see these all over the country. That would just be amazing to be able to help people. Any last comments that you have, Paula? Well, Lori, thank you for opening up your time for us to share our story, and I hope that it touched some people's hearts and know that both Nancy and I are, are open to um, talking to anyone anywhere because they really feel like um, the, the network of all of us working together can only be helpful to everybody. So um, even if you're not in um, California and are interested in what we're doing, give us a call because we really feel like um, we want to grow this. We want to collaborate with like-minded people and people who have the energy and the support to want to continue to do good work. So thank you for letting us uh, share our story. Well, again, thank you, Paula, for being on the show. Nancy, any last words? No, just a big thank you, Lori. We very much appreciate um, your interest in our program and so glad you reached out to us so we could have this opportunity. Wonderful. And I will get back to you with a contact for the care farms in Montana because I know that he's looking at wanting to expand those as well. I want to thank all of our listeners. Again, if you wouldn't mind um, sharing this with your uh, social media tribes, I think this would be a a great um, new and exciting way um, to connect with people with dementia and and find some wonderful, wonderful experiences uh, behind it with the Connect a a Horse project. Um, If you are new to our... um, to uh, excuse me, I have a head cold and it's getting the better of me right now. <clears throat> if you are new to our network here, alive and social, you might want to check out what's for dinner tonight with Rachel Perrin, who is a culinary directory for Kowalski's Market, along with her producer and sidekick Adam Lee. They talk about all kinds of seasonal flavors and favorite foods and trending topics, probably a lot, which is diet right now. After the first of the year, their podcasts only um, average 10 to 15 minutes per episode, but yet they have a lot of assistance in making dinner plans quick and easy. And you can find a complete menu at Kowalskis.com, which is K-O-W-A-L-S-K-I-S.com. If you haven't listened to our shows before, you may want to go back um we have years of shows, uh, that podcast, that you can uh, go back into the iCarves um, and listen to. We just had uh, a man on, uh, Rick Namark, talking about Gifts Wrapped in Alzheimer's, a book that he wrote. We've had a couple of uh, different women on about traveling. Uh, one was an attorney who has turned travel companion. Another one um, talks about um, travel destinations and even does caregiver cruises. 
um, many, many different topics. So check out the archives. And again, feel free to push those out. On January 7th, we had a great conversation on dementia chats. And we talked about moving and construction and remodeling with our experts who actually are diagnosed. And I think you'll find their insights extremely valuable on um, how difficult uh, even small changes in the house um, can become for them. If you're interested in an upcoming preview of His Neighbor Phil, feel free to reach out to me. Those you can't get, um, you can't see in the theater and you can't get on DVD. It's only by sponsors only. I will be showing that film January 26th in Vadness Heights in um, in Minnesota. I will be in Sherville in um, Indiana on February 13th and Mokina, uh, Illinois on the 14th and I'll be in Algonquin on the 15th. Um, so we've got a few around the country. Love to love to have you be part of those. Um, in closing, I would just like to um, remind you that if you become a member on Alzheimer Speaks, you're able to go into our tools and product area. And one of the tools that people have told me they really appreciate is called Your Memory Chip, which teaches us to stop focusing on our list of to-dos and our task list, but really focusing on are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free. Until next week, have a blessed day. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the way showers who will help your journey a lot easier.